interesting one Engage with Eagle Forum. I am one of your hosts, Kirsten Hassler, the Executive Director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by my colleague, Eagle Forum's Political Director, Tabitha Walter. Today, we are happy to have on our show, Trent England, who is the Executive Director of Save Our States. Trent, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. We are grateful for your work to defend the integrity of our presidential elections, and we want you to make the case for the Electoral College to our listeners to today. This issue has been of great importance to our organization and Phyllis, who spent years writing about the importance of defending the Electoral College. To start, can you give our listeners some background? What exactly is the Electoral College and why did our founders create it? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for for having me on the program. I, as we were talking before we started, I got to work with Phyllis Schlafly starting 20 years ago, right at the beginning of my career in public policy. And she's one of the people who really inspired me to get involved in defending the Constitution and defending the Electoral College, which is something that the founders created and, and actually spent the entire Constitutional Convention debating o- over. I mean, even more, you know, everybody's heard of the Connecticut Compromise and the debates over Congress that formed the House and the Senate. And people don't realize the Electoral College was maybe not as contentious as that, but they actually spent more time on it than they spent even hammering out the details of, of Congress. And what they came up with right at the end of the Constitutional Convention is a system where States have the power. States are represented. We have a two-step election process. And and the president is chosen by presidential electors who are real people. I'm sure there are some listeners out there who, who probably have served as presidential electors in their states. They cast the electoral votes for president. State legislatures have the power to figure out how to select those electors. And in pretty much every state... There's just a statewide vote, and whichever candidate wins the most votes in that state then wins that state's presidential electors and elect- electoral votes, right? So it's a two-step democratic process. Like, you know, that kind of defines what it means to be in a republic. Republics are basically built out of uh, democratic building blocks, mm-hmm. um, but it's not, a, it's not a direct democratic process. And by doing that, it it creates a lot of checks and balances. And this is why, actually, while our, our electoral college system is is unique, it's not totally dissimilar from systems around the, the world. Every parliamentary system is a two-step process to elect the prime minister, for example. And India and Germany have, have basically a kind of an electoral college that's that, by the way, is much more complicated than ours. Uh, it, it, like, makes my head spin when I read about how they do things in, in India especially. But uh, by, by having this kind of a process, the big cities don't control everything. And when there's vote fraud, when there's some kind of, uh, you know, some, some kind of dispute over the election outcome, it's always contained within individual states, which I always describe it this way because I grew up in Seattle uh, near, the, near the ocean. It, it turns our states into the equivalent of the watertight compartments on an ocean liner. So if you, you know, you hit an iceberg in one state, you have some kind of election fraud in one state, it doesn't sink the whole ship. It's contained within that one state, and you can sort it out there. It also it forces our, our campaigns, our parties, to be much more national than they would have to be otherwise. So all of these really positive effects uh, from this, this institution created by the founders in the Constitution, you know, right at the beginning of our young republic. 
Most of the Democrat presidential candidates are opposed to the Electoral College. The popular applause line on their side usually mentions that every vote matters. One man, one vote. But we are a democratic constitutional republic. Can you give us some insight on why they would oppose the Electoral College? Well, you know, it it makes perfect sense for Democrat presidential candidates today to oppose the Electoral College because it would make their path to the White House much easier if if they didn't have to go state by state. I mean, we, and we saw this in 2016. You know, I, I always get a chuckle out of the fact that, you know, we talk about media bias, and the media bias really destroyed Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 because they convinced her that she had this lead, that she couldn't lose the election, and so she wound up basically driving up the vote in California, which led her to win the most popular vote, but lose the Electoral College because the Electoral College rewards reaching out, building a broader coalition. And, you know, when these when these Democratic candidates say that they want to get rid of the Electoral College, what they're really saying is they don't want to have to campaign in Wisconsin. They don't want to have to talk to people in Michigan or in Pennsylvania or in Ohio. They just want to talk to people in Los Angeles and Chicago and New York. I mean, that that would serve their immediate political interest. I think there's no there's no doubt about that. It, it would also reward states for having really loosey-goosey election laws because the more, you know, the more ballots, legitimate or otherwise, that they could churn out in, say, Chicago, the more political power Illinois would wind up having. The Electoral College limits that, right? It basically says, look, all, all you can do, you know, if, if, you, if, if, the, uh, if the dead are uh, somehow managing to vote in Chicago, all they can do is swing Illinois. They can't, they can't have any effect beyond that. And... Uh, I think I think that that's the political agenda. There's also an ideological agenda, and and I think it's important to recognize that as well. I, I think a lot of Americans, especially on the left, are 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 really confused about which revolution uh, our country was a part of because the American Revolution was about building a republic, protecting individual rights, minority rights. Uh, creating a constitution with checks and balances. The French Revolution is really the revolution that I think produced the modern Democratic Party somehow, which is all about direct democracy. Government should just you know, put as much power as possible behind the will of the people in any immediate moment. And, you know, the, the French tried that, and they wound up with heads rolling, quite literally, and blood in the streets. I mean, it, when you play that out to its uh, logical conclusions... It's pretty messy, and and I think uh, you know we we should try to educate our fellow Americans. I'm so grateful for Eagle Forum doing this uh, about our heritage and the way that institutions like the Electoral College are a part of the the best of our heritage. Yeah, I think a good point that you talked about was that um, a lot of these concentrated cities and states, such as California, that have a, a huge population, but tend to swing liberal. If we didn't have the Electoral College, it would give people like us who live in flyover states, as they call it around here, or in less concentrated areas, less of a voice. And um, so I think that's huge for our listeners to know is that without the Electoral College, states like California would be, you know, making our decisions for us when it comes to elections. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I grew up uh, at the end of a dirt road, and uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a gravel road about you know one month out of every four or five years, and uh, so I, you know, you just think about what that 
what that means in our politics, right? If, if you live in rural America or small-town America, uh, you're at a disadvantage just starting out, right? And, and I'm sure, you know, many of the listeners out there understand that very well, right? If, if you live in a city close to lots of other people, close to the institutions of power, close to the media, uh, you know, it, it's very easy to organize politically. It's very easy to have a voice. And uh, the Electoral College is about balancing that out. And, you know, the U.S. Senate is about balancing that, that out as well. Uh, if you go back and look at the earliest democracies, I, I, I don't know, I always find this interesting. If people talk about, uh, my, ki- my kids are all, you know, high school age, and so they learn about ancient history and classical history and, you know, the beginnings of democracy in ancient Greece. And, and you know, it's all well and good. The Greeks got together and they voted on some things, especially in city-states like Athens, but even the most democratic city, like Athens, basically survived by enslaving all of the people who lived outside of town, right? And that was that was how they that was how their politics worked. And I think we're, you know, we're at risk of heading back toward that kind of a system, where yeah, everybody in the city can sit around and, and you know talk about one person, one vote. But the practical reality would be that millions of Americans would be frozen out of politics. So can you talk a little bit about how you actually become an elector? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So political parties, and this is how it works in, in most states. Every, you know, every state has its own little nuances, but um, the, uh, the political parties, so the Republicans, Democrats, you know, Libertarians, Constitution Party, whoever's on the ballot in a particular state, they have their conventions, and at their conventions, they nominate people to be presidential electors. So these are they're real people. They're nominated by a political party like, you know, like a lot of other uh, candidates for office are. And at that point, they are candidates for presidential elector or, or nominees for presidential elector for that political party. Typically, the party requires them to sign a pledge or an oath that says, I will vote for our party's nominee. And uh, sometimes states have laws that say that you have to, although those, those laws may be unconstitutional and the Supreme Court is going to uh, decide that later this year. But uh, at, at the end of, uh, at the, end of the, the election period, uh, after election day, after the votes are all counted, then whichever party won the most votes in that state, uh, that party's electoral nominees are elected. And at that point, they become federal officials. You know, they're real federal elected officials, like a member of the U.S. House of Representatives or like a U.S. senator, except that they only have one job. Their job is to gather in the middle of December in their state capital, typically it's in their state capital, and uh, uh, and cast the electoral votes for president and for vice president, and then they're done and they go home, and and uh, that's uh, that's the task of being a presidential elector. Sounds like a unique job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's it's, it's kind of cool because there are a lot of party activists and people who just, you know, they they work really hard within the party, and the party uh, uh, oftentimes will reward people by saying, "Hey, yeah, we'll make you our presidential elector in this cycle." So, you know, people are interested in that. Um, depending on when their state political party conventions are, they may have an opportunity to run for presidential elector this year. Mm-hmm. So, another effort that is kind of going around the country right now is the effort to install a national popular vote. Can you touch a little bit on that and what that entails? Yes, so so there's a campaign that was launched um, a little while after Al Gore lost back in 2000. And what what a, a couple of liberal law professors came up with is this idea that maybe you could 
effectively get rid of the Electoral College without amending the Constitution. And, you know, right there, good constitutionalist Americans say, wait a second, you could never do that. Well, you know, sometimes there, an idea comes along that's so dumb that James Madison never thought about it. That You know, the Constitution doesn't protect us from it because the founders could never imagine that state politicians would just ignore the people in their own state. But that's what national popular vote would do. It would have state legislatures pass laws that say, we will ignore how the people in our state vote, and instead we will select our presidential electors, basically give away our electoral votes based on the national popular vote. So if this had been in effect in 2016, Hillary Clinton would have won. And uh, now, you know, of course, the campaigns would run differently. And it's I mean, it's possible that uh, that that Donald Trump would have won the most popular votes. Obviously, you know, you can never go back for sure. But just, you know, taking everything as it was, Hillary Clinton would have would have become president if national popular vote was in effect. This has actually been adopted by 15 states, but it has a trigger. So it doesn't have any effect in those states unless they get it passed by enough states that they control 270 electoral votes, a majority in the Electoral College. That would control presidential elections. So they are, they're well on their way. They have uh, those 15 states plus D.C. have 196 electoral votes. That's almost 75% of the way toward putting this into effect. And, uh, and there is a huge, a huge campaign and war chest behind this, even though they, they operate as kind of a stealth campaign. Uh, the the man who's really behind all of this is named John Koza. He invented in the 1970s. He invented the scratch off lottery ticket system. He's a computer scientist and a mathematician, and he came up with the the way. I guess there's there's some complicated math behind all this that he actually patented, and then he got states to adopt lotteries. So he makes millions and millions of dollars. You know, he's the only person in the country who wins on every scratch ticket, right? And uh, and he's turned that into this huge war chest uh, for national popular vote. He was actually he was a presidential elector in 2000 for Al Gore. So he was mad that Al Gore lost, and he uh, he now leads this national popular vote campaign, and uh, and save our states. They they launched in 2006. And really started started winning states in uh, 2007, 2008. I was working on election security at the time, and uh, we launched Save Our States in 2009 because we were so concerned about this effort. And uh, and we've we've had a great partnership with Eagle Forum ever since then. So, like many issues, uh, this isn't just a liberal issue. There are conservatives that support a national popular vote compact as well. So, can you tell us why they would support it? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different reasons. I mean, I I do have to say that I don't think I know of any really prominent conservative or Republican leaders who support it who aren't basically on the payroll for national popular vote. Um, but there there have been some people, especially before 2016, who have uh, either supported this or suggested that maybe it's not such a bad idea. And, you know, the argument oftentimes comes from Republicans in places like California or New York where they think, well, maybe we could get more Republicans to turn out and vote in California and New York if we had a popular vote. And that, you know, as, as somebody who grew up in the Seattle area, I I understand that that idea, right? Because it's always, it just, you, you live in a, in a really, really blue state and it can feel very, uh, you know, very dark politically, uh, to to uh, to have to operate in that environment, you think, well, you know, anything that we could do that might 
improve that would be better. The problem with that is that you know, if, if you know what the outcome of the election is, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, there's less reason to turn out and vote, right? And it just some states happen to be safe states. Some states happen to be happen to be swing states. It changes all the time. I live in Oklahoma now. It's considered a, you know, it's about the safest red state in the country. But it, it was controlled by Democrats not that long ago. And Washington State, you know, where I grew up, uh, Republicans used to be very competitive there and now not so much. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think... Sometimes partisans kind of forget the deeper constitutional issues in their rush to figure out some way to tip the scales in their favor. You know, the, the other reality, though, is national popular vote, it's, it's all funded by the left. It was developed by the left. I've had some great allies who've been Democrats, even very liberal Democrats, who uh, for, you know, for oftentimes for very good constitutionalist reasons, actually want to protect the Electoral College. So that that does happen. But they get most of the Democrat votes by default. They don't really have to lobby them. So what the national popular vote campaign has done, they've focused most of their lobbying on Republicans and they've hired a few former Republican elected officials to be kind of the, the face of national popular vote in state legislatures which, you know, oftentimes is very confusing. And that's where, you know, good folks like the Eagles are really effective when when they turn out or or make that phone call or send that email to their elected officials. That that can really, really help to blunt this, you know, this out of state money and these out of state lobbyists who are trying to, in, in my view, really confuse the issue. To recap, what are the talking points that we can use to defend both the Electoral College and oppose the national popular vote? Yeah, I, I think one of the best things to point out about the Electoral College is that it contains vote fraud. It, it limits the effect of vote fraud. That is that is really important. We don't want to create more incentives for vote fraud by tearing down state lines. I think another argument for the Electoral College, it rewards the kind of coalition building that the Trump campaign did, and, uh, and it prevents... The, a handful of big cities from controlling the country. So, you know, those are all really important things about the Electoral College. This national popular vote campaign, it, it's important oftentimes to point out to people, this is from the left. The, the left is trying to do this, you know, and, and uh, we, should, we should all be clear-eyed about that. And just the, the risks that would come with moving away from the system that the founders designed, that we've used to elect presidents since George Washington, um, the, the burden of proof is on the other side. And, you know, I always I, I always try to to use that. I think we should always use that. You know, the other side has a burden to show that they've really thought about this as deeply as the American founders did and that they've really thought through all the unintended consequences of this. And, uh, you know, so far, it's it's pretty evident to me that they haven't. There's just there's a lot of partisanship driving this. And that's that's the worst reason to change our Constitution or the rules for presidential elections. So, Trent, how can our listeners find more resources about this issue? We we run a website, SaveOurStates.com, which is a great place for people to find um, articles, a breakdown of just what the Constitution says and how it works, a lot of the things that we've talked about here. Really, the best way to stay active and involved uh, is our Facebook page. If people go on Facebook and search for Save Our States, they can find the Facebook page. We also have a, a, a private Facebook group that uh, you can find through the Facebook page where we help people engage directly with their state legislators to, uh, to make sure that we are getting the message out and educating lawmakers about just how important the Electoral College is and how, how dangerous this national popular vote campaign is. 
Well, Trent, thank you so much for sharing this with us. It's such an important topic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engage with Eagle Forum. Please be sure to subscribe to Engage and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.